Well, amen. Let's pray. Father, as we just sang, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me, rescue me from danger, bought me with his precious blood. We thank you so much for pursuing us, even when we rejected you. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus on the cross to forgive us our sins, to empower us to live for you, and to at last bring us to our eternal home with you. Father, would you please be with us as we turn now to your word? Would you give us each your spirit to understand what you have in front of us? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome, everybody. We're so glad you could join us today. Uh, one of the things Cindy and I really enjoy and love to do is to have something on the calendar that we can always look forward to. It's one of those little life hacks, if you will. If you're the same, you always have something that you, you need to have in the calendar to, to look forward to. Let us know in the, in the chat bar. It'd be fun to kind of share the different ideas of how we, how we go about doing that. But as long as there's something planned for Cindy and me, whether it's a day trip with the kids, whether it's a summer vacation, you know, coming up, you know, a few months time, you know, as long as we have something in the calendar we can look forward to, it just makes facing what we're in, in the midst of whatever it is we're in, just a little bit easier, just a little bit less challenging. Well, what's really cool about the text we're looking at today is it shows us in a way that God invites us to do this in a far, far grander way. And toward a joy that is far, far greater available to us. Today we're continuing our series onward as we consider how in the midst of hard times, like the ones we find ourselves in now, at the beginning here of 2021, God doesn't just want us to survive, nor does he just want us to thrive, but rather he invites us into partnering with him towards his life-changing eternal work. And so we've been going through the book of Hebrews chapter 11, looking at these accounts of the ancient men and women of faith and how they follow the Lord in the midst of hard times themselves. And what we've seen is this, to live a life of power is to live a life of faith. Well, today we're going to be looking at Hebrews 11, starting in verse 13, where the Hebrews writer pulls the lens back a little bit. He has been focusing on, and will go on to focus on, individuals. We've looked at Abel. We've looked at Abraham and Sarah last week. Today he pulls the lens back a little bit and looks at, quote, all these people. He kind of does, he groups folks together and gives us a thought, which is really helpful, in that we see how absolutely critical and important it is for us to not only survive during hard times or even thrive, but to have incredible impact through it all, is to live in light of what's to come. In other words, to live and face the challenges we are today in light of what's ahead, the wonderful things in front of us. And something that I believe we often don't do or often don't tap into as much as we, we can and ought to for the sake of strengthening us, whatever we're facing today. So that's what we're going to consider today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and look at Hebrews chapter 11, again, verses 13 through 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
All right, from this text, I believe we, we learn at least three things about faith. First, we see that faith understands we aren't yet home. Look again at verse 13. It says, These ancient men and women of faith admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. If you're here with us last week, you know this was the case for Abraham. He was promised the great promised land in the land of Canaan. He left a nice life, but when he got to the promised land, it's not as if he got to really live in that as if it were his own. In fact, it wouldn't be uh, his descendants' own for, for generations to come. He never got to fully uh, uh, enjoy it as, as his own. And yet, what we saw there is he, he understood that he was living as a foreigner, as a, as a stranger, even as a resident alien, we saw. Well, Abraham, all these men and women of faith recognized, even if they did get to enjoy some of the really nice things in this life, recognized that deep down, ultimately, they were living their lives here on earth as foreigners and strangers. Uh, when Cindy and I had been married for 10 years, we realized that we had, in those 10 years' time, moved 10 times. <laughs> moved, we moved 10 times in 10 years. Part of that has to do with our story of living in China for, for two years, so we moved in around there in some unique circumstances, but we moved 10 times in, in 10 years, which meant when people would ask us where our home was, we had a hard time answering that question. I can relate to this idea of living as four strangers personally because when I grew up uh, in San Diego, I was raised there until about 11 years old when my family moved to the Bay Area, the East Bay, over there by Berkeley, a little town called Albany, which is really where I was more or less raised. I went to middle school there, went to high school, ultimately college. And so I spent the vast majority of my formation there. It's where I, I understand like the culture. But you know, I'll go back there today. Even after having lived there so many years, having now moved away and just kind of lived in different places, I'll go back there now. And while I still intuit how everything kind of flows there, kind of the vibe, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's what I know, it still doesn't feel like home deep down. And for that matter, I've now been living in the Silicon Valley for a number of years, and I'm starting to feel like this is more home, but there's still a sense of me, it's like, well, is this home? The Bible tells us that even if we were to live in one place our whole entire lives here on earth, if we're followers of God, ultimately, we're actually only ever living as foreigners and strangers. C.S. Lewis talked about this in one of his lesser-known works, the Space Trilogy. Not a lot of folks re have read those. But in those, he, he kind of uses the metaphor of islands, talking about how we all are living on islands, if you will. Never, I mean, excuse me, always wishing and longing to live on the great mainland, but never getting there. And his thought there is, again, even if you have you know, been in one place your whole entire life, there's something about just the way we're wired, what, what we understand about a reality for Christians to understand that we're not home. Our true home is still, still off, still, still ahead. We're, we're not yet home. And you know, the Bible talks about this in any number of ways throughout the scriptures. Perhaps the most clear and, and uh, poetic is found in Romans chapter 8 where the Apostle Paul describes how we're all groaning on the inside. We're groaning because things aren't the way they ought to be or how, how we believe or, or just know deep down how, how they, they're meant to be. In fact, Paul goes on to say that even, even creation, even our surroundings are all groaning. But we're groaning because things aren't quite the way we're meant to be. I mean, just think about the idea of entropy for, for, for a minute. I mean, this idea of entropy is, is really fascinating because 
Even if you took away the, the idea that we are created by God, which we considered in Hebrews 11, verse 3, that it's by faith that we understand that, we, that, all, that the universe was created, even if you set that aside for a little bit and you just, you're here and maybe you don't identify as Christian, whatever, however we approach this, we can all admit or recognize that being here, life existing, is miraculous. Or at least in that vein, however you, you would describe it. The fact that we're here is just incredible. It's just, it's, it's, it's miraculous. But then at the same time, as crazy it is, as it is that we are here, there's this thing called entropy. Everything is just moving towards decay and erosion. I mean, we're born into this life, moving towards you know, the time when we'll, we'll pass away. And it's not just us physically, it's you know, all our surroundings, but it's also relationships. It's also just you know, our emotional capacity. All, I mean, there's this, there's this constant flow towards entropy. But you know, the, the Bible says as much as that is true, it's also true that God is working for the renewal of all things. Because the Bible describes the reason why there's, there's entropy and the like is because we rejected God. The first few pages of the scriptures teach us that God created the world for us to be in perfect communion and harmony with himself and, and with one another and with creation, our surroundings, our environment. But you know, on page two or three, depending on your font, we see the fall of humankind or sin enter the world, which is really our rebellion towards God and really our rebellion towards the one from whom all good things flow. And so because of that, because of our sin, uh, entropy entered the world in such that we see it in so many ways uh, in our relationships and in our surroundings and, and all the rest of it. But God didn't leave us there. The good news, and really what all the scriptures are pointing to, is that God was ultimately leading towards sending his son to bring us back into a right relationship with him, to one another, and even to creation, as ultimately one day, and the last few pages of the scriptures talk about this, he will make all things new. And so we are living towards that. There's a groaning right now, but we are right now not home. Right now, we're living as foreigners and strangers. And I think the reality is a lot of us Christians, followers of Jesus, need to recognize that and, and live from that perspective because it's really easy, especially in our Silicon Valley uh, culture, to just live for what's here and now and what's next. But we need to fundamentally realize and live from this text invites us into the fact that we're not yet home that we really are just foreigners and strangers. Now, does that mean we're just to throw up our hands and say, you know what, forget it all, and I'm just not gonna care? Not at all. In fact, as Christians, we're called to lead out in joining with God in his work of the renewal, of, of bringing about the renewal of all things. So we're supposed to care, we're supposed to, to, to love and, and serve and, and, and work for justice and peace and all these things that, that are along those lines. But at the same time, fundamentally from, the, from, from, from within, we need to approach this life so we're not yet home. We're living as foreigners and strangers. Uh, the next thought we see here is faith understands the best is yet to come. We're not yet home, and the best is yet to come. Look again at verse 14. After it says they were foreigners and strangers on this earth, they admitted such to themselves, it says people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Verse 16, God has prepared a city for them. Uh, this is to say the next life, heaven, is going to be wonderful. It's going to be incredible, so much greater 
than you or I could even anticipate. It's funny, often I'll hear Christians talking about heaven with this notion that it's, it's, it's going to be this, you know, all day, every day church service of, of singing, right? That we're just going to be all, all around, you know, this musical choir just singing and that's all it's ever going to be. And kind of the thought that often gets coupled with that, in fact, I have a friend who even, who even said it baldly, he's like, man, if that's the case, I don't, <laughs> that doesn't sound fun to me. But there's a couple things I want to say in response to that. First, if that's our understanding that, you know, the worship and praise and singing to God, as it is described in the scriptures, is not going to be a great time, then we are badly mistaken. Because that is going to happen, but it's going to be so much greater and wonderful and joyous than we could ever anticipate. The best way I can think to get this thought across is by describing how uh, the best concert I ever went to was U2's Vertigo tour. This was years ago. But it, it was a concert that spoiled every concert I've ever been to since. And that, in that way, it was actually kind of a bummer of a deal, but it was a wonderful concert. Because I, I experienced something at that concert I had never really, I had never experienced before at a concert. And that is toward about five songs into their set. So they've been playing some classics, some from their, their new album at the time. And then about five songs in, something just clicked for me. I mean, and we were sitting way up in the nosebleeds, but this whole Oakland arena was just packed, 30,000 odd uh, folks there just kind of at this concert. And about that fifth song in, something just like changed that I just, I, I began to like elevate, if you will. Like I just had a like out of the, out of body type experience of like, the rest of the concert was just like, it was just an incredible experience. I never, just singing at the top of my lungs. And I'll never forget the best part of that concert by far was their closing song. They often closed with a song and I was just hoping they would and then they did. So I was just, I was so excited. They closed with the song 40, which really is a song that's from Psalm 40. It's words taken directly from the song. It's a worship song to God. And there we were, 30,000 fans, just singing at the top of our lungs, praises to God, and it was incredible. If you're a sports fan, and you've ever been to a game where your team came from behind or whatever, and won the, just, you know, last shot made it, and, you know, the stadium erupts, you know the energy, the, the, the sensation, the euphoria that can go along with that. And I would just say that if you've experienced that, you've had the privilege of, of having that kind of experience, then you will probably have, begin to have the smallest, faintest understanding of what it's actually going to be like when we praise our Heavenly Father. Because when we get around the, the King of Kings and Thrones uh, and Lord of Lords, around His throne and we sing His prayers, we're not going to be celebrating and singing about some you know, team that won a game. We're going to be singing and celebrating our Savior's victory over death and and his victory over sin and it's going to be incredible but you know what that's not all that heaven's going to be in fact our text lets us know quite clearly that's not all it's going to be because it talks about here how we're going to be given a better country and then in verse 16 again it says he's prepared a city for us i mean what's a city other than representative of things like the culture and arts you know trade and commerce probably innovation and the cross-pollinization of, of ideas and, and all, all sorts of things. I just happen to be reading in my devotional time. Right now I have, I have a, a, a read through the Bible plan that I, I make my way through. And I just happen to be in the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible. And looking at the last few pages of this, it just all lines up. And, and in that, 
I was reading this week about this great city of God that he has prepared. And what's really fascinating is it spends quite a bit of time describing the gates of this city, how they're going to be decorated. And it's interesting to consider there's going to be gates on this city. What are gates for other than for the going in and going out? The coming in and going out, for, for, for the exploration, for discovery, for the wander and, and, and travel. It's going to be amazing. We, it, it, this is to say the best experiences in life just become the faintest of whispers of what we get to look for. The best is yet to come. We're living as foreigners and strangers in this life, but we're longing and we're looking forward. Actually, in this wording, it says they, these guys embraced what's to come. Verse 14, 16, they were longing for this. And that's the invitation to us. It's like I described in the beginning of having something in the calendar. If that's you, you know what planning a vacation is like and just having it there. It's like, oh, we got that coming up, so we can, we're good now. But in this way, it's like, no, this is just, that, the best of best vacations won't even compare. And we're talking forever. We are called, it is good and right to embrace this, to long for what's to come. And I think this is important to kind of, to, to call out, because I have found that for, for many Christians, myself included, it can feel like thinking too much about heaven is kind of this pie in the sky, by and by mindset of just like, oh, I should, probably shouldn't just think about that. I just focus on what's here and now. No, what the Hebrews writer is telling us is that these great men and women of faith in the midst of hard time pressed on with great strength and, with, and towards great impact precisely because they were embracing and longing for the wonderful things to come. Have you often considered the wonderful things that are to come, these heavenly promises in store for those who've put their faith in Jesus? It'd be good and and fun to just dwell on that, perhaps even this week. And then take the next thought, ask the next question, and how can knowing what's to come and dwelling on what's to come, longing for it, embracing it, influence your here and now? I think this is what the author is is calling us to. Last thought, we see that faith understands that it's ultimately faith that unlocks this transcendent joy now. It's faith that unlocks the transcendent joy available to now, uh, now and today. I mean, one of the things that's really fun about this text is it says that this heavenly promise, these heavenly promises are a done deal. This better country, this city prepared for us has been prepared. Look at verse 16. He, ha- he, God, has prepared, past tense, this city for them, for those who've put their faith in Jesus. Every commentator I read this week pointed out the fact that this is a done deal. This is already basically, in God's mind, something he's prepared. It's, it's, it's set. Meaning, meaning, if you have put your faith in Jesus, or let me back up a second. If you today would like to put your faith in Jesus, you never have before, you can do so even now. The gospel or good news of Jesus Christ is you can receive what he did on the cross, dying for the forgiveness of sins by faith. It says that to all who believe on his name, Jesus' name, to all who receive him, God will receive as children of God. You can receive him today by saying, I believe in what you've done for me, God, through sending your son to die for me. I receive that forgiveness, and I want to offer my life to you. If, we do, if you do that even now, this promise, these promises are available to you. And if you have done that, you are a follower of Jesus. What this text is showing us in that he has prepared this city for all those who followed him is to say that even when your faith 
is really abysmal. I mean, you've put your faith in Jesus, but you're, you're just, you're not, you know, your faith is, is a, bit of, a bit of a joke in your mind. These things are a done deal. It doesn't depend on you. God has prepared this city, this country, this heavenly home for you if you've put your faith in Jesus. But the wonderful thing about this text is it's inviting us to lean into and receive the joy that's available, not just then, that done deal, but here and now, yes, even in the midst of really hard circumstances. This is a joy available to us to just look and embrace what's getting ready to come. Think of it this way. Faith is only gonna be unique of this time. Of this side of heaven, faith is gonna exist, but on that side of heaven in life forever with God, there's not going to be any more faith, which means faith is a unique way that we can love God and we can live and experience the love of God and join him in his wonderful work. It's not going to be something that we're going to be able to do in the next life. In the next life, he's going to be there. We don't need to have faith. But I can't help but think there's going to be times in heaven. I wonder if it's going to be like this where God will come up to a follower of his, come up to, to you and say something like, hey, you remember you remember back, back in, when you lived on earth and in, in that life before, before the, the second coming? You, you remember when you faced that hard time? You know, you had that job situation come down, and the way that you pressed into me, God will say to us maybe, it, the way that you pressed into me is just showed the faith that you, you, you trusted me. You remember that? Or do you remember that time when you chose to live in that certain area so that you could have an impact for me? Like you, you could have lived all these other places, but you chose specifically to be there to serve me and to push my kingdom forward. And, and this is what happened. Do you remember when you did that? And we're just going to get to experience the joy of having walked with God by faith in this life, which we're not going to have in the next life, but we're going to have the memory of it and the relationship that builds from that. Check out this interesting phrase that here, that's here in verse 16. It says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Think of this. I think often Christians, when we think about shame, when it comes to our relationship with God, we often think about it in terms of our being ashamed of God. Say, if in the workplace it happened to come up that we're followers of God, that you know, we might struggle with feeling ashamed of being a follower of his. Um, and you know, the Bible speaks to that. In, in fact, here, here's an example in Romans 1, uh, 16. The Apostle Paul basically says, we are not to be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. But you know what's fascinating about this text here in Hebrews uh, thir- 11, verse 16, is it flips the script in talking about how God will not be ashamed of us. Not just our not being ashamed of him. He will not be ashamed of us. Verse 16, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. It's incredible to consider this. Mind-boggling, actually. And really speaks of our tendency to process things in an entitled way when, when our gut is probably more of the us not being ashamed of him. But this is saying in our text that you and I have the ability to make our heavenly Father proud to bring a smile to his face. You and I have the ability to bring him delight, glory, and honor in a way that we just get to embrace, especially, yes, even especially in the midst of hard times. And when you think of it that way, it's kind of like, you know, 
me with my my kids it's like when they do something that makes me proud it just it just fills me with love for them i mean they're just little ones but when they do something that just makes me proud of them i'm just there's just a precious bond of love that i feel and they with me that is that is preciously intimate and what this text is saying is that's available to you and me today as followers of god that he has this relationship with you and me and how do we tap into that by faith. Living by faith. Which means when you're facing something hard, maybe even facing some, some really hard things, you know, these last few weeks, these last few months, this last year or so, it means we have an opportunity not just to get by, not just to have inner peace and just, you know, get, get through it, and actually not even just an opportunity to, to have incredible impact, which we do. We're talking about changing eternity. We also get an opportunity to bring delight and honor to make our heavenly father proud to bring him joy that is a wonderful promise that we have available to us it means that even in the midst of hard times we have an incredible opportunity to do things that are just so much beyond us and are gonna, we're going to cherish for not just the rest of our lives but into all eternity so in a way that's far greater than having, you know, a nice fun trip planned or, or vacation so that we can just get our way through and, and, and then we'll be fine when we get to that. And in a way, you know, that, you know, a pandemic can't steal or ch a change of plans can't take away. God is saying, hey, here's what's coming ahead. You have far better country and city that I already have planned for you. By the way, myself included, I will be there. Embrace that. Long and yearn for that. And what you're facing now will fall into place. In fact, you'll have the strength to not only just get through it, but to have an incredible impact and even bring a delight to our Heavenly Father. So how can you live today in light of what's to come? Let's pray. Uh, Father, you are so, so good to us. Uh, your grace, your mercy, your provision... Uh, your, your heavenly promises. We don't deserve you in the wonderful things that you have prepared for us. Father, would you help us live in light of eternity today? Uh, would you help us recognize and live from the reality that, that this life isn't our home, that we're foreigners and strangers here, and that the best is yet to come? And may you please, and may you please help us bring great delight and joy to you in this life by our faith. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.